I'm going to do something I don't think I've done in years. I want you to follow me with some verses of Scripture this morning, and then I want to just call us to prayer around the altar. We'll see where this goes and just mind the Lord. Look with me, if you will, to Judges chapter number 21. I can't get the burden that I think was placed upon us men in the prayer room this morning off my heart. I think we all exited the room back here with the same burden. In the day in which we live, we're living in uh, some very difficult days, very hard days, sinful days. Where things which are sinful are called good and right, things which are right are called evil. The Bible says in Judges 21 and 25, and I'm just going, we're going to let the Word of God do our speaking for us, okay? If you know anything about the book of Judges and that era of time, it's one of the darkest days in the pages of the history of Israel's nation. Um, a number of times over, there was about a fourfold cycle kept repeating itself. Um, the people found themselves, the Israelites found themselves in bondage and in their affliction. They would cry out unto God. God would raise up a judge to come be their deliverer. Um, in their, their place of blessing, they would forget God. The nation would fall back into apostasy. God would raise up an enemy to afflict them. And from their affliction, they would cry out again. We learn over and again what we're taught in other books of the Bible. That is that what we learn from history is that we just never seem to learn. We keep repeating the same mistakes. In the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse number 25, the Bible says in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no sheriff, there was no governor, there was no standard, there were no boundaries, there were no laws. Everybody made laws unto themselves, existentialism, situational ethics. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Lawlessness, sinfulness, wickedness. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Move with me, if you will, to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 6. Verse number 15, you know as well as I that we're living in a time in our nation where everybody's doing their own thing, writing their own laws, butchering their own children for uh, the sake of gender reassignment. Homosexuality seems to be running rampant and is accepted even in churches now. Up in the New England states, I have two friends. I want to make the trip myself, both said. They would make the trip with me. But some of our early founding churches in this country now fly woke flags in their church, have woke statements in their vestibules. Churches at once stood for the word of God, stood for what's right. And now rather than standing for thus saith the Lord, they're more interested in allowing their culture and society to influence them. Some of them, believe it or not, fly gay pride flags from their flagpoles. Zach Watson and Stacy Lane both made the trip last year. 
up to see some of those ancient landmarks where men were used of God in the Great Awakening. And now those churches have so fallen backwards and gone backwards that some of them have women pastoring them. Some of them have homosexuals pastoring them. And what used to be a place of, of worship, worshiping a holy God, now digress to the place. They're now a standard bearer for sin if they're a standard bearer at all. I'll tell you, in cha- instead of chapter 6, look at verse number 25. I have verses throughout every book of the Bible underlined, marked particularly. Jeremiah 5 and 25, your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholding good things from you. In chapter number 6, verse number 15, the Bible says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? They'll do their best to make you ashamed today that you stand for what is right. God made man and he made woman. Old timers used to say it and there would be a chorus of amens. God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. But now you're pushed back. And shoved in a corner, if not escorted out, if you stand for what God has stated. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, um, saith the Lord. I tell you, over in chapter number 8 of the book of Jeremiah, he says it all over again. Verse number 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No one's ashamed today, are they? You know, the first time I heard uh, Brother Doug Jones after I surrendered to preach was at Cairo Baptist Church. He was preaching for Brother Marvin Ward. And, and he preached on sin coming and going that night. And I'm telling you, he was as plain as plain could be. And while he was in that message, he talked about how that we've come to the place. Now, this was in 1992, the spring of 1992. And Brother Doug said, we've come to the place that we call old sins by new names. And he went through the catalog of it all. I don't remember all that he said, but the gist of it was we call uh, adultery an extramarital affair. But God says it's adultery and it's sin and wicked before him. God intended for... Uh, God intended for a man to be faithful to his wife and the wife to be faithful unto her husband till death did them part. God intended for the only partner that a man would know would be his wife and the wife, her only partner, would be her husband. God intended it till death did them part. And we've come to the place that's just commonplace anymore. It's in the TV, it's in the radio, it's in the, whatever the publications are. It's become a joke in the community. We call fornication, a premarital, whatever, but it's still fornication. God intended for a young man and a young woman to meet before God, before congregation, at a wedding altar, pure, present themselves pure before God and give themselves to each other as they become one before God. We call sodomy, I used it a while ago, homosexuality. It's now celebrated. If you don't believe it, and I don't do much on Facebook these days, and I want to get off of it. And folk keep telling me, whatever you do, do Sunday, what, what little bit I do. I get tired of this stuff. Men marrying each other, women marrying women, and it's celebrated by, uh, right out there for everybody to see it. 
it's still, that's not the only sin. Mark you, it's not the only sin. But it's still called an abomination in the Word of God. Lying and stealing and the such like, we've given them new names, have we not? It's now acceptable anymore. And uh, God, God, forgive us. God, have mercy on us. Verse number 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. They shall be cast down. Chapter number 9, verse number 1, you see how broken. We've lost our burden about it all. But you notice how burdened and, and broken the weeping prophet Jeremiah was. It's what Lamentations is all about. It's a song. Uh, and Jeremiah is, is broken. He, he expresses this in chapter number 9 of Jeremiah, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. When's the last time you shed a tear? When's the last time you were broken over your sin, the sins of your family, the sins of your neighbors, the sins of our country? Um, We're living in a land that once was founded by Christian Judeo principles, and now uh, we who still embrace the Word of God are the laughingstock of this this land. If we aren't careful, we'll fall right into the same trap that's being being, uh, laid by the devil for this world. 2 Corinthians, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verses 3 through 5. I was reading here a while back, and I've read this just almost every year, how that uh, those who, who poll and, and what have you say that, um, that answer these polls um, seem to think that uh, we're guilty of the same sins that this world's guilty of, and just as pronounced on church pews as it is in this world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses uh, 3 through 5, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That is the casting down, the casting out of strongholds. He clarifies that in verse number 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. That is anything in your life that would... uh, that is, that is in stark contrast to the teachings of Scripture. We're to cast that down. We are to eliminate that. Some few years ago, when we were preaching on warfare around here, a service or two. Um, I mentioned to you that there were men that, uh, that I'd tried to be a help to, that, uh, that a computer screen had become an enemy. I don't say any more about that. But if you've got a problem with anything along that line, you'd be better off without a computer. You'd be better off without a telephone. You'd be better off without a TV set than let that stuff, once you see something, you cannot unsee it. Don't expose yourself to anything like that. You put garbage in your mind and in your life, it'll come out on you somewhere down the road. The devil knows what he's doing. Right here is the battleground, the mind. Simon Peter would write in his writings, wherefore, Gird up the loins of your mind. The loins is the secret place of the human, right? So it is with the mind. Right there's the battleground, the mind. We are to renew our mind every day. We're renewing our mind this morning, reading Scripture, gathering with each other around truth. Renew your mind, casting down imaginations and every high thing 
that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We battle spiritual wickedness in high places. Some tend to think that the devil is the little cartoon character with the pitchfork and long tail. That's not Satan. He was the high sheriff. He was the chorister in heaven. He was beautiful in his original state. He's clever. God help us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 seems to, um, seems to describe the day in which we live. You don't have to look far when we read these verses. Paul was writing to Timothy and talking about uh, what his journey would be like. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, there are unbelievers. He will, he will see and have to, have, to, have to stand against. They're characteristics of those unbelievers' lives. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days, perilous times, that is dangerous times, shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's the number one problem right now today, right? Pride. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which, uh, which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. How, does, how is it that Satan influences our lives, even as believers? Because he does do so. He does through does so through the ear gate, right? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Um, children of churches used to stand before their congregations and begin the services with Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and other little old songs they'd learn in Sunday school. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. You be careful, child of God, what you listen to. If it be gossip or something that is impure, Paul tells us what to think on in Philippians chapter number 4, verses 8 and 9, and he tells us what not to think on. Don't let that garbage and filth that, is, that, that infiltrates this world into your life. Concerning the eye gate, go back with me, if you will, to the Garden of Eden. Watch Eve. It's amazing how the devil enters the mind and the heart of an individual with his influence through the eye gate. Why do you think billions upon billions are spent Every year in advertising. In Genesis chapter number 3, the Bible says in verse number 6, when the woman saw, the woman saw, when the woman saw that the tree was good for, fruit, for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. She saw, she desired, she took, and then she gave to Adam, and he did eat. And we've been in a mess ever since, right? That's what the Word of God says, but it started with the eye gate. 
Look over with me, if you will, into uh, the book of Judges in chapter number 7. The book of Judges in, I believe it is, chapter uh, number 7. Joshua chapter number 7. The sin of Achan. Joshua chapter number 7. The Bible says in verse number 20 and 21, you remember an entire army, the armies of Israel lost in battle and turned and ran. And the result was, or the reason for that was because there was sin in the camp. And God said so. And men began to pass before Moses and then, or before Joshua, excuse me. And then verse number 20 and 21, the Bible says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Watch this. Talking about the eye gate. Verse number 21, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Now, that's the way the devil works, right? He'll let you see something. He'll show you something, and then he'll tempt you with it, entice you with it. And if you participate in it, you can't even talk about it. He had to hide what he stole, what he took that he was not supposed to take uh, under the ground of his tent. He couldn't even talk about it. No doubt the devil probably got around his neck and said, I thought you were a believer. Look at what you've done. Now you're hiding what you've done in shame. That's the way the devil operates. He's, he's a tempter, and then he's a slanderer, and an, an, an accuser. Second Samuel, chapter number 11. You know the story of, of David. Second Samuel, chapter number 11. We adults, if you were to ask, what's the first thing you think of? When you think of David, most of us, we think of the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. We think behind that, how that one sin led to another sin. It all started out with David being in a place he had no business being and looking upon Bathsheba, and he had no business looking upon Bathsheba. Second Samuel 11, beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that's where David should have been, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw, he's looking at Bathsheba here, he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful uh, to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, It's not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto her, and he... Uh, and to him, excuse me, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned into her house. In my Bible, I've got under, underlined when kings go forth to battle in verse number 1, but David in verse number 1, verse number 2, David arose. David knew where he was going. Verse number 2, walked up on the roof. And then in verse number 2, he saw a woman washing herself. Verse number 3, David sent and inquired after. Verse number 4, David sent messengers, took her, and he lay with her. You say, what's wrong with that? Everything's wrong with that. Sometimes people get wrapped up in this type of sin and will say, well, you know, it just happened. It just, it just, it does not just happen. There ought to be some boundaries set in a man's life, in a woman's life. There ought to be a default. 
that a man and a woman goes to. You don't want to lose your home. Some of you know how painful that can be. You don't want to put your family in that kind of position. You don't want to put your children. My wife and I both are products of broken homes. You don't want to put that on a kid. Tell you something else that the devil uses to influence our lives. That's the influences in our lives. You'd be better off alone than to keep bad company. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The bad rubs off on the good every time. It's not the good rubs off on the bad. The bad will rub off on the good every time. What do we do about it? Look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter number 13, I believe it is. I'm almost finished with my part of the service. We read about the last days, perilous times, and the last days shall come. I think you would have to agree with me. Um, we all have to think these days about how dangerous it is. Even living in your communities now. Romans 13, verses 11 and 12, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This started, I I had no plans for this today, but this started working in my heart back in the back this morning with the men around the prayer table, prayer room. I don't think the devil's, I'm not saying he's not after me, he's after me, he's after this preacher and he's after you. But I'll tell you who his targeted audience is today. It's these children and these grandchildren. Some of us, regarding some sins, he probably gave up on us a long time ago. We've reached an age and stage in life where our mindset's so far different than maybe. But these kids, their minds are still being shaped. And if he can attack the homes of these children, if he can attack their lives, their minds, and destroy them, he will do so. The night is far spent, Paul would write. The day is at hand. It's time to wake up, he said. If we do anything, we ought, we ought to pray around this altar this morning. Ask God to help us. There was a time among churches where when revival meeting would open, you could almost, I've heard enough of them speak of it, and I've heard enough preachers scold preachers for preaching from this verse, but this used to be a revival verse some years ago. I think we've lost something here. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, he didn't say of the drug crowd or some other crowd, but he said if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. May God have mercy on us in these days. Would you stand with us, please?